Today we're going to continue with our study in Luke. You'll remember that Luke, the writer, has given us this amazing beginning to the narrative arc of the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus first seen in the person of Jesus as he lived and worked among us. And then the continuing narrative of Jesus will be introduced to us as we come to understand the life and the work of Jesus in the early Christians, the early believers, the early followers of Jesus who were called the way, the very first expression of the church of Jesus Christ. We'll look at all of that together in the coming months. And in the last few weeks, we've seen how Luke has introduced the story with the announcement, the annunciation of the birth of the Saviour. We saw it in the celebration of his birth as the angels and the shepherds gathered. We saw it in the declaration of who he was soon after his birth in the prophecies of Simeon and Anna. We saw the emerging sense of who Jesus understood himself to be, having having emptied himself of all of his knowledge there as the Son of God in becoming that embryo, incredible to imagine, and then a baby, then a toddler, then a small child, and going through the process that you and I go through of sensing an emerging identity. And we saw that, didn't we, as we saw him there worshipping and discussing in the house of the Lord. Then we saw Jesus in his maturity, at the moments when the Jewish nation would recognise that a man was, as it were, fully grown, fully mature, at the age of 30, stepping onto the stage of history and being baptised on our behalf and hearing the voice of the Father declaring that he was the Son, seeing the Spirit descend upon him in power and the open heaven opening above him and staying over him for the entirety of his mission until it closed again for our benefit as he died for us on the cross. And so we've seen the introduction to the life and ministry of Jesus and today we're going to look at Jesus calling his first disciples. What would that be like? And how does it apply to our life as we read it afresh today? I'm going to read from Luke chapter five and verse one. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Here we have the account of the calling of the disciples. And in this account, we see what is definitive for all of us in all of our callings. Perhaps it's a calling to be an intern for this season in your life. Perhaps as I experienced a couple of days ago, as I married a young couple from the congregation, it's a calling into marriage for the rest of your life. Perhaps like Corey, it'll be a calling into a new phase of life as you take on a new job. Jesus is today calling. And as he calls, he's looking for a response. And every person in this room is in the business of hearing and responding to a fresh calling. Maybe it's a, a calling simply to renew your sense of destiny for this new week. Maybe it's a sense of calling to renew your commitment with the people that you've been called to live with. A calling to marriage, to friendship, to house church, to the wider community. Maybe it's some specific calling that is particular to you, but what is absolutely true is that today we are called and Jesus is calling. So if that is true, then, then how should we understand the nature of calling today? Well, the first thing to note from our text here is that the nature of calling is always to go deeper. There is no onward calling of Jesus to go shallower. There's no call in our life to become more shallow Christians, to become more facile Christians, to become more like veneer level Christians. There's never a call of that on our life. There's always a call to go deeper. Jesus said to the disciples, put out into deep water. Of course, their experience was that they'd been frustrated. We know that feeling, don't we? There's nobody who doesn't know the feelings of frustration in what it is that we've been called to do. It can be a frustration in being a parent. It can be a frustration in being a spouse. It can be a frustration in being a friend, in being a member of a community, at being at work. We all know 
what it means to feel like you've been working hard and producing little. We know what it's like to feel like the amount of energy that's going in is not at all matched by the fruit that's coming out. So often, that experience, that moment in our life is the moment when we should look up and say, is the Lord saying a new thing? I can't tell you how many times uh, Sally and I have received a fresh calling and it's right on the heels of the completion of an old calling. And that old calling is indicated in its completeness by the sense of the harvest now running out. I can remember the Lord saying to us a very clear calling into deeper water when Sally and I were called to work in a very poor community in inner city London, perhaps the poorest community in Britain at the time. It seemed like a huge step out of the shallows. But one of the things that indicated that perhaps the calling was to change was the sense that the harvest was now complete and that if we continued in what it was that we were doing, we'd be just going through our paces, just cranking the handle, actually not seeing anything of what it was that God had in store for us in the future. If there's frustration in your life right now, ask the Lord, what is he saying to you about your capacity to hear and his desire to communicate the calling. The disciples heard the word put out into deep water on the back of their frustration. But of course, to go into deep water and to be obedient to that call to go into the depths means something that none of us perhaps want to really embrace. It means risk. Again, I can remember uh, with some tears, Sally and I thinking through what it would be like moving to the inner city, to this poor community, perhaps for the rest of our lives. And we had these two little girls and we thought, what's it gonna be like for them growing up there? How's it gonna be for us as a family? This feels like a huge risk. How will it be for them growing and maturing and marrying there? What will that be like? And we wrestled through it as we sensed the Lord calling us to deeper water. When we heard the call to complete our work in Britain, we had the largest church in the United Kingdom. We had all the bells and whistles of just the most dynamic ministry. And the Lord said, give it to the next generation. And we said, Lord, what do you want us to do? He said, go over to your cousins across the pond. And we said, Lord, what do you want us to do there? Now for me, you know, I like to know what's going on. I like to have a plan. I like to have a sense of 
kind of orderly activity. So the worst thing in the world that the Lord could ever tell me was go and I'll show you when you get there. Are you kidding? Have you ever said that to anybody? Well, do you remember Abraham? Yeah, okay, but anybody except him? (laughs) Well, actually everyone. Because the truth is, of course, going out into deep water means risk, doesn't it? It means that we have to embrace the idea that we're in a situation and we're in circumstances that are beyond our experience and therefore beyond our control and therefore place us in exactly the right place that we need to be, which is dependence upon the Lord. And so putting out into deep water will always reveal risk. But then what happens next? Dear old Peter's out there, he he does what Jesus says, he lowers his nets into deep water, which frankly is an unusual thing for a fisherman to do. This must have been really putting him on tilt big time. You see, fishermen in the time of Jesus would not normally go out into deep water at all, partly because very few people knew how to swim. And so if you, you, know, you fall out of the boat in deep water, then you've got to be able to get back to that boat pretty quick. But secondly, because most of the fishing and most of the techniques that had been developed for, for fishing at the time were, were techniques that, that gathered the fish from the surface of the water. So they would throw a large weighted circular net onto the surface of the water when the fish came to the surface. And at night, the way that they would do that is they would take the boat out into moderately shallow water, put a light over the side and invite the fish to the surface by the light that was illuminating the surface of the water, drawing the fish to the surface, and then you would catch the fish. So going into deep water to catch was a kind of odd thing to do. But Peter and Andrew, they did it. They, they submitted to the, to the Lord's command. They were prepared to take the risk. And then their nets began to break. And their boat began to sink. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? You've just obeyed the Lord. You've just done the thing that the Lord's asked you to do. And then you discover you don't have the capacity to actually complete the task. You don't have the ability. You don't have the skills. You don't have the talent. You don't have the energy. The nets are beginning to break. The boat is beginning to sink. Here you are in the midst of it. Here you are in the midst of your marriage. Here you are in the midst of your friendship, in the midst of your workplace. And now suddenly, having come out into deep water, you find that you're incapable of doing what it is that's needed. One of the reasons that marriages break down is that those who are called into marriage think that when the nets begin to break, that's when they have to give up. When the boat begins to sink, that's when they've got to give up. 
But that's the moment. That's the moment to go back to the first word and say, well, surely the Lord called us. Surely the Lord led us and so surely the Lord will provide for us and undertake for us in the midst of this inability to do what he's asked us to do. You see, it's only an immature and perhaps even foolish Christian that believes that they have the capacity to fulfill the calling that God's placed upon them. It doesn't matter what the calling is. The calling can only be fulfilled by the grace of God. It was the grace of God that got us into the calling. It's the grace of God that will meet us in the midst of the calling. It's the grace of God who will lead us through the calling to its completion. Come and help us, James and John. And in coming to help them, they were kind of literally a bait and switch (laughs) and found themselves as disciples of Jesus as well. Both boats began to sink. They had enough resources to last them a long time. These are not little rowing boats. If you've ever seen the, um, the Galilee Boat Museum on the, on the banks of the Lake of Galilee today, you'll see that this is a boat that's way bigger than you ever imagined. The average fishing boat in those days was maybe at least 20 feet long and at least eight feet wide. So filling that boat to overflowing was a gigantic harvest. And filling two boats to overflowing? And dear old Peter, he falls at the, at the feet of Jesus, falls at the knees of Jesus in a boat full of fish. Only his head is sticking up above the fish that are flapping away at his chin. What a great picture. He really is overwhelmed, isn't he? And this little head sticking out of the fish says to Jesus, I'm a man of unclean lips. Leave me alone. I'm a sinful man. This is always what happens when God does something beyond what you expect. I was, I was chatting to Matt earlier in the week and he was saying how he's been gathering churches for, for support of mission in India. And you know, you set yourself this kind of audacious target and then the Lord goes beyond that target and gives you more. And, and when you get to that point, you're thinking, oh my goodness, how big is this gonna be? And it's only a foolish person that thinks that they can ever meet the challenge of God's calling by their own human capacity. Poor old, poor old Peter, he, he is filled with the fear of the Lord. But Jesus says, don't worry, Peter. I know that you feel Inadequate. I know that you feel sinful. But even in your sin, I'm going to use some of what you've 
been created for, to be co-opted into my mission. You know, when you're, when you're overwhelmed and you sense that you have nothing left to offer God, God graciously tells us two things. He tells us, first of all, our opinion of ourself is too small and too limited. And secondly, he tells us that our understanding of his grace is way too small to understand what might be possible. And so he says to Peter, in his fear and in his recognition of sinfulness, he says, Peter, I'm going to take the things that you've developed from your childhood. I'm going to take the things that have been part of your family through generations. I'm going to take those skills, that talent, that giftedness, the thing that you feel you've been created for. And I'm going to use those things for my kingdom. Now, you're going to catch human beings. Here's the amazing thing. In God's redemption, he never, he never ignores his creation. In God's redeeming work in your life, he always honors what it is he's made you to be. So don't ever fear that there's nothing in you to offer to the Lord. What he's created you for, he will garner, gather, embrace, and co-opt for his kingdom. But what of this, what of this feeling, this condition in Peter's life? He feels inadequate, he feels unable, he feels sinful in the presence of a holy Jesus. What should be the next step in the journey? Well, I was preparing uh, this week and um, I was overjoyed because about Wednesday I realized I'd got two complete outlines. So I thought, thank you, Jesus. I don't have to prepare a sermon for next week because I've already got it. So maybe the Lord had me to do other things, I don't know. But then I said to the Lord, is that, is that the plan? And he said, no, I want you to preach both sermons as one. And I said, why is that? He said, because with every calling, there needs to come a cleansing. And it's interesting, isn't it, that we get to the end of this story of the calling of the first disciples and what we are encountering is something that we're so clear about in our own lives and that is in the presence of a holy Jesus we feel less than holy. And Luke in his great and masterful treatment of the life of Jesus it's as though he knows that that's what we need next. And as the Holy Spirit inspires him to write this gospel, he has laid out for us what it is that we need to understand. Read with me from Luke chapter 5, verse 12. While Jesus is, was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. 
Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Here's the interesting thing. When you look at the works of the kingdom demonstrated in the life of Jesus, you'll see demons cast out. You'll see sicknesses healed and you'll see leprosy cleansed. Jesus heals the sick, delivers the demonized, but always cleanses the lepers. Why would it be that a condition as terrible as it is, why would leprosy be given such a distinct role in the work of God's kingdom? Why would it be cleansing of the lepers? Well, the reason for that is quite simple. Both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the work of leprosy in the life of a poor, terrible, desperate person who experienced it was a visual aid of sin in a person's life. Leprosy in the Old Testament was always seen as a visual aid, as a, as a way of understanding how sin works in a person's life and how it, how, it, how it travels, as it were, through our whole being. And so when a leper is healed, the healing is always called a cleansing. Here comes this desperate man. He's covered with leprosy. That means that, that leprosy has taken root in his body. And the way that it takes root is exactly the same way that sin takes root in our life. You see, leprosy, when the infection comes, affects the extremities of the body first, the fingers and the toes, and the numbness begins to be felt. And as the numbness continues through the fingers and the hands, through the toes and the feet, the only thing that the leper can do is what modern day lepers call the visual survey of extremities. They, they have to take this legalistic observance of their body daily, moment by moment. They have to check themselves continuously, check themselves for cuts and nicks and bruises and, and splinters. They, they look at their body for any indication of the potential or possibility of infection because they can't feel the cut or the splinter. It will quickly become infected and with the infection and the gangrene and the septicemia, the leper begins the slow march to death. The numbness continues through the limbs, covering the body with a pallor of death. Eventually, 
the leper becomes blind, unable to even make the visual survey of their body, and they quickly die afterwards. It's a terrible and tragic condition, which we're grateful to say because of the work of many medical missionaries down through the generations is now entirely possible to be healed and removed from society. But there, in the time of Jesus, this visual aid of sin was there for all to see. And these poor people were pushed to the margins, were alienated from society, were the poorest of the poor, the most broken of the broken. And the man comes to Jesus and says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The other gospel writers, particularly Mark, when they report this story, give us access to the emotions of Jesus, who was clearly, deeply moved by what it was that he saw and heard. He says, if I'm willing, I am willing, be clean. What about you or I today? Conscious of sin and failure, conscious of inadequacy, conscious of an inability to do something. Maybe an inability we feel like to say no to uh, some kind of addictive temptation that, that constantly besets us. If you're willing, you can make me clean. I am willing. Be clean, says Jesus. And he doesn't say it from a distance. He reaches out and touches the leper. And in that moment, the leper is completely transformed and renewed. In his desperation, the leper is cleansed. And then Jesus gives the leper some directions. And this is really important for us because in the same way that submission to calling indicated something. So submission to cleansing indicates something also. So often we, we receive the cleansing, but we only receive partial benefit of the cleansing. The cleansing is complete, but the benefit to us is only partial because we do not hear what it is that's available to us in the midst of the cleansing. Jesus says to the leper, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that is detailed in the teaching of Moses. Now, Leviticus chapter 14 is not generally a favorite passage in the Bible for most people today. I bet most people here without looking wouldn't be able to tell me what Leviticus chapter 14 is but it was the favorite passage of every leper. Because every leper knew that if they were made whole by some miracle of grace, then Leviticus 14 gave them the roadway to health and happiness. 
You see, Moses laid it out. He said, when you're healed, take an offering of two turtle doves. Two turtle doves are the smallest offering that anyone can bring. Of course, they're the poorest of the poor, and so they bring the smallest offering. And the priest looks at the body of the leper to see whether the healing is complete. And on his observation, all priests are trained to understand leprosy and to to give the clean bill of health. And so with that clean bill of health, the priest takes the offering of the two turtle doves and, and takes some of the blood from the offering and puts it on the right earlobe of the leper and the right thumb of the leper and the right big toe of the leper, indicating that the cleansing is for the whole person and the whole body. And then a week later, the leper returns to the priest and on observation of continuing in the healing that was indicated at the beginning, the priest mixes up an anointing oil And he puts the oil where the blood has been. He puts the oil on the right earlobe and on the right thumb and on the right big toe. Indicating that not only is the leper cleansed, but now the leper is blessed. The leper is not only forgiven, But now the leper is anointed and empowered for service. How often do we receive the benefit of the blood and not the blessing of the oil? Of course, the oil can only go where the blood has been. There's depth in that statement for you to think about this week. But the oil does go where the blood has been. The Holy Spirit of the Lord all was symbolized by the anointing of oil. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. The anointing oil is always the indication of the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we come to the Lord feeling inadequate, feeling broken, feeling unable, feeling sinful and unholy. There are things that we've done and there are things that we've said and thought. And we're kneeling before him in the presence of a holy Jesus, knowing that we're unable to respond to his calling afresh. And he says, but I'm willing to cleanse you. Be clean. And by the atoning sacrifice of Jesus himself, he applies to us the benefit of his blood. And he doesn't only touch the sin, he touches the whole of our life and cleanses us completely. But more than that, blesses us because the oil goes where the blood has been. And so he 
blesses us, equips us, and empowers us for service. Isn't that amazing? I mean, seriously. If you're not overwhelmed by that, I mean, you barely got a pulse. I mean, you tell it, it's incredible. God could just, he didn't have to do any of that. He doesn't have to cleanse us. And he definitely doesn't have to bless us as well as cleanse us. And yet he does. And this visual aid of sin in the leper is now matched still greater by the visual aid of God's grace, which always leads to our cleansing and forgiveness and our blessing and empowering. Praise Him. I know you're praising Him inside your hearts. It's okay. It does feel like I'm speaking in a library sometimes. And what happens to the leper? Of course, he's not able to keep it in. He's not able to not share it. I mean, imagine. You've literally been rotting away. And then you have flesh like a baby. And your life's completely transformed. It's impossible not to tell somebody. And so the witness grows and the reputation grows and the the gatherings grow and the people come to listen to Jesus, but Jesus, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. And there's the segue into our next installment in Luke's gospel. Next week, we're gonna have just a little hiatus because we're gonna be doing family on mission, but the week after that, we're going to look at what does it mean for Jesus to withdraw and and what does it mean for us and how does that pattern of our life look like if we're to follow him in that? But for today, but for today, as you consider your calling, whatever that might be, as you consider the renewal of your calling, however that might come to you, and as you consider this day, your need, like my need, for cleansing, then consider all of the benefits of the blood of Jesus and consider all of the blessings of the oil of the Spirit as both are offered to you today.